If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you. Great to spend some time with you. Great to share some ideas and thoughts, particularly at this time in our history, a time that is so challenging, challenging in two ways. On the one hand, we are troubled, troubled by what's going on in Israel, troubled by how some people, how some nations, how some governments react to all of this, and one wonders how is it possible for people that we once upon a time thought of as respectable, once upon a time we actually admire them to a certain degree, and they shrink in front of our eyes as they open their mouths and they identify with those who are murderers, those who are butchers, those who behave beyond description challenging times. On the other hand, a time of tremendous, tremendous love, achdut, unity unprecedented throughout the entire world, day after day, stories pour in about how people in the Holy Land, our beloved land of Israel, are coming together. And once again, I emphasize, no longer is there any concern about which party you belong to, Where do you stand in certain issues? Everyone is opening their hearts and their homes. Everyone is reaching out throughout the entire world. A tremendous outflow of giving, of sharing, financial, supportive, in every single sense of the word. Mika Amcha Yisrael. Who indeed is like your people Israel? The moment the crisis hit, the moment the pain sets in. How do we respond? Yes, there is that grief, but at the same time, we stand up, ready to serve, each in their own way, wherever they are. We stand up, ready to serve, as one people, standing together with tremendous, tremendous solidarity. And this is something that we can be so incredibly deeply proud of. It should give us chizuk strength. And this is something that we have to speak about again and again and again. Every morning in shul after davening, stand up and say the prayer for Israel, say the prayer for the chayalim, for the soldiers, for the captives, for the people who are grieving, for the people who've lost family, for people who don't know where some of their family members might be. We identify with them, not only as people far away, distant. We identify with them as our own. And this is something which is so very special because it touches a common chord within each and every one of us. It touches that deep and powerful place in our neshama, in our soul. Our souls are, after all, part of God himself. And this is what unites us. 
as the first Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe writes in the Holy Book of Tanya in the 32nd chapter, what unites us, what in fact is the key and foundation for Ahavat Yisrael, for true love between ourselves, the fact that God created all of us and gave us an Hashem and gave us a soul, and that soul is part of God, that soul is one, and when anyone hurts, we all hurt. When anyone is joyous, we should all be joyous. And at this time, we are all truly and deeply and powerfully connected. And this is why, even though it's a challenging time, and seriously challenging, we mustn't underestimate the difficulties that people are going through throughout the world. One can only imagine to a certain degree what people in Israel are going through people who had to leave their homes, people who are in extremely, extremely difficult situations, financially, emotionally, spiritually, having to go through a range of emotions that are incredibly, almost impossible to describe. And yet not only do they survive, but they live. And this idea of Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people are alive is not only some cheap motto it's not a bumper sticker it is the call sign of the jewish people we are an eternal people we are a people who've gone through every possible situation that humankind could possibly imagine and we are here we thrive we grow we identify yes from time to time we do bicker from time to time, we do have our differences, and sometimes those differences overwhelm us to a certain degree. But when the moment calls for unity, for togetherness, for sharing, for caring, for reaching out, for helping, nothing stands in the way. No obstacle is too great. And this is why throughout the entire world, there's a tremendous sense of togetherness. But at the same time, we have to deal with it in a powerful sort of way. We all have to reach out to Almighty God and ask Him each in our own way that He gives us the strength to continue, that He shows us miracle upon miracle again and again and again so that we can be joyously victorious. And you know how we can be joyously victorious? Joy. Joy begets joy. And you ask yourself, how is it possible in a time such as this to be joyous? Well, first and foremost, I've seen a number, a number of videos where soldiers ask us to be joyous on their behalf to sing and to dance in shul on a Friday night and a Shabbat morning. They say we can't be in shul. We might not even have the opportunity to pray and to daven. But please dance for us and sing for us. That's what they want. They don't want us to be sad, God forbid. Because joy is powerful. Simcha poritzgeter. Joy breaks down every obstacle spiritual, material, physical. This is the call of the moment. Strength, power, and joy. More of that soon.
This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. The Parsha is Noah. Noah, of course, is, well, that individual who lived through one of the greatest tragedies in human history, the Great Flood. The end of last week's Parsha, what does God say? God says, I regret to have created the world. As we spoke about last week, God created a beautiful world. Garden of Eden, magnificent in every sense of the word. It was the perfect place in every sense of the word. And he charged Adam and Eve with the tremendous responsibility of safeguarding that beautiful garden, nurturing it, looking after all that was in it. Tragically, they didn't do such a good job, and they were banished from the Garden of Eden into the rest of the world, which was not so perfect. It was a bit of a dark place. And for ten generations, humankind, generation after generation, behaved badly until the point where God said, this cannot continue. Humankind has degenerated to such a violent, destructive level that it simply cannot continue. And God said, my creation has to come to an end. It has to be destroyed. And there's only one man, and his name is Noah. The Torah says, Noah found grace in the eyes of God, because Noah, as you just heard in the song, Noah was a tzaddik, a righteous man, a pious man, a good man. And the very simple lessons that we learn right away, before we go into any depth into this week's Parsha, and before we use this week's Parsha to understand current events, what's happening in the world today, there are two very obvious, simple but powerful lessons that we learn from the Parsha. Number one is that the whole world was wrong. Torah tells us, Kehishchis Kolbaser is Darko. All the creatures, every single person, except one and his immediate family, Everyone in the world had become completely and totally corrupted. Strange concept. One would think if everybody in the world behaves in a particular way, then it would be acceptable. After all, everybody is doing it. Democratic vote. Not only the vast majority, but everybody is behaving in a particular way. Isn't that enough to prove the authenticity of this type of behavior? And the answer is no. Because the whole world can be wrong. The entire world can behave in a particular way, and it can be wrong. This is one lesson that we learn from the flood. Everyone was wrong, except for one man and his immediate family. 
one person stands up against the entire world. Everyone is screaming. Everyone is saying, this is the way to behave. And one man says, no. It's immoral. It's vulgar. It's violent. It's corrupt. I will not accept that way of life. I will live differently. I will continue to obey the law of God. I will continue to uphold the principles and values that God instilled in this world, that God gave us when he created this world. But argued all the politicians and all the philosophers and all the leaders of the time. Can't you see that everyone in the world behaves differently? Doesn't that tell you that we are right and you are wrong? And Noah said, no. I have a legacy going all the way back to our great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, who was given a duty and responsibility from God himself, who created all this world, that there is a correct way of living and an incorrect way of living. And all of you are wrong. Everyone thought that Noah was mad, insane. One person standing up against the entire world. Then what happened? God brings the great flood. And the world, as they knew it at the time, comes to an end. Massive flood covers the entire world. Only Noah and his immediate family and the animals that they chose remain to re-inhabit the world. But there's an interesting question. Why did God choose water to punish and destroy the world? I mean, God, after all, has so many other ways that he could have destroyed the world. Later on in the Torah, we come to the story of Sodom and Amorah, terrible cities, terrible, immoral, vulgar places. How did he destroy them? With hail and brimstone. God could have brought down hail and brimstone upon the entire world. Why does he destroy it with a huge flood? Why with water, of all things? And as we consider that, we begin to have a new insight in what the flood was really all about. Water, we are told by our sages, has two, well, contradictory elements to it. On the one hand, we are told that water, metaphorically speaking, can nurture all sorts of negative impulses and drives within the human being. Attitudes and behaviors which aren't altogether good. On the other hand, water is a source of life, which nurtures not only health, but spiritual health as well. Water becomes the symbol of Torah. As we are told, all those who are thirsty go to water. 
metaphorically speaking, those who thirst for something greater, for something true, for something holy, go to the water of Torah. Water is the symbol of that which nurtures true life. Water it can be seen as something which nurtures negative impulses, but in truth, water is a symbol of purity and holiness. It's something which refreshes the body, the heart, the mind, and the soul. And this is why when something becomes impure, we take it to the mikvah. When the body wants to be elevated and become tahor, to become ritually pure, goes into a mikvah. We look at the flood at the outset, of course, as we see it, a terrible punishment. All of humankind coming to an end, the animals, the world of vegetation, a destructive deluge, powerful. On the other hand, our sages tell us, our Kabbalistic and Hasidic masters tell us, what God did was he put the entire world into a mikvah, a body of water that purified the world, elevated the world, renewed the world, refreshed the world, brought the world to a new level so it could have a new beginning, and that's why he used water. Yes, the world had come to a point where everyone behaved badly. Everyone began to behave in a way which, well, brought about a situation where God says, I have to put an end to it. Only one person and his immediate family remained loyal to God. And God said, I have to put an end to this. But it's not a punishing end. It's an end which brings about greater opportunity, positive change, purity and holiness, something which is new holy water. And this is something which teaches us how to look at life generally. When negative things happen, of course, of course, as it appears, it can be painful. It's something which can be very, very hurtful. But as we begin to examine these things on a deeper level, more than often, if not always, it's an opportunity that carries with it tremendous inner blessing and benefit. And this is how a person has to look at life, to try and understand the positive dimension of every situation in life. Not to see the water as a punishing element, but to see the water as a purification process. In every single situation, national, international, personal, of course we can sit back and say, ah, something terrible. And yes, as you see it at first glance, it is something which is terrible. But as you examine it on a closer level, on a deeper level, and you see the consequences, and you see the causes, and you understand it from, well, perhaps a far more mature and deeper level. 
the context, broader spectrum. You see it from a longer perspective, a deeper beginning, a further end. You see it as a tremendous opportunity of blessing, of growth, of refreshing holiness. This is something that we have to understand. This is what Noah is all about. Noah is not only a Parsha that speaks to us about harsh punishment from God. God destroys the world as some would have it. It's a Parsha that talks about the opportunity for change in the most powerful way. More of that soon. This is the Parsha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about understanding how to see things from a positive perspective, which creates a positive element within ourselves. And this generates, strangely enough, a reality of positive dimension within the world that we live in. Yes, when we are positive within ourselves, this creates positivity within the world that we live in. And this world really needs a dimension of positivity. Now, we were talking about Noah. Noah was a ish tzaddik, a pious, righteous man, a man who stood up against the world, the entire world, behaved in one, the entire world, behaved in one way, contrary to the will of God, immoral, violent, vulgar. Noah remained loyal to God and his principles. But Noah had one flaw, only one. And that flaw was that he kept to himself. He didn't share his values, his ideals with the people around him. Yes, with his immediate family, he kept them close. But basically he lived a very private life. He didn't knock on neighbors' doors and say, you are behaving badly. He didn't go into the town square and shout and scream, my friends, the way you are behaving will end badly. God will indeed be very angry with you. He didn't use the opportunity of the piety that he had and the spirituality that he possessed to try and change the world. No. He used all that incredible energy to protect himself and his immediate family. While many might argue and say, well, what else could he do? The entire world was against him. And he had to use all the strength that he had to protect himself and his family against the negative influences of the world. But our sages see this differently. Our sages say, no. You had to, he had to, try and bring about a degree of change. Whether he would be successful or otherwise is not the key issue. He had to try. And he didn't. And this is why some of our great rabbis consider this a flaw in the behavior and personality of this great, righteous, pious man called Noah. And this is the challenge that each and every one of us has. And this is a challenge that I'd like to throw out to each and every one of you and to myself. 
to reach out to others. Now is a time that we have to create huge energies of goodness and kindness, materially and spiritually. We have to create tremendous energies of positive goodness in the world. Just the other day I read an article, over a million men put on tefillin in Israel in the last two weeks. Over a million women and children who didn't before have begun to light Shabbat candles. In America, hundreds of thousands of men put on film in the last two weeks. Equal number of women lighting Shabbat candles. Reach out. Pick up a phone to someone that you know and say, I'd like to share something with you. There are soldiers standing on the front of the Holy Land, protecting our brothers, our sisters, us, against a violent, vicious enemy. We must do something as well. Yes, acts of kindness, acts of goodness, support them financially in every way that we can. But at the same time, we have to do something spiritual as well. You put on film. Do you light your butt candles? Is there something I can help you with? This is a time that each and every one of us must become a leader in your own right. Because we have the power and the world, our world, our brothers and sisters have become incredibly receptive. They are waiting for us to reach out. Today's Friday. To the women who are listening to this program, you know, some of your sisters who perhaps for whatever reason don't light Shabbat candles, reach out to them. Offer them a couple of candles. Help them make the bracha, the blessing. Everyone, men and women, call up ten friends and say, come to shul tonight. At least ten. And ask your friends to call another ten. Our shuls should be packed every single Shabbos. To show the world, to show the South African world, to show those who should know better that we are not afraid. We will sing L'Chadodi. We will dance around the Bima. We will show the world, Mika Amcha Yisrael, who is like the people of Israel. We must demonstrate strength and joy and victory and power in the most dignified and majestic way. Shul is a safe place. Every shul is a safe place. Reach out to friends, invite them to your shul. This is the message for the Shabbos. Noah, great flood, but God refreshed and renewed the world that he created so that it could become inhabitable once again. When you're in shul tonight, rejoice. If they sing l'chadodi and they dance, join in. You're in shul tomorrow and you should be. Listen to the reading of the Parsha. Follow it in English. It's a fascinating story. 
And as I always say, there's one part of that parsha that speaks to you, so listen carefully. You'll hear an incredible, powerful, positive message. And rejoice. Good Shabbos.